title on this International Women's Day 2018 is Why Women Need Quotas. Our guest is the economist, Professor Vicki Price, and she's going to tell us all about women's economic contribution and the case she makes in her book for why women need quotas, her book of the same name. Go to vickiprice.com and you can tweet to at real Vicky Price, and that's Price with a Y. Professor Vicky Price, welcome back to the workplace here on Resonance 104.4 FM. Just give us a brief uh, synopsis of who you are, your professional background once again. Uh, I'm Vicky Price. I'm an economist. Um, I studied economics at the London School of Economics. I'm actually originally Greek and came over uh, to study when I was 17 and then, of course, stayed like so many people do. Um, I then worked in banking and then in the oil sector, in consultancy and also for the government for a while where I was joint head of the government economic service. Uh, What I do now, um, I'm chief economic advisor at a consulting firm called the Centre for Economics and Business Research. I also sit on the board of that firm uh, and I teach as well and I comment a lot on on the economy. But I have been working recently increasingly on gender equality issues. Okay, give us an overview of what you want to talk to us about today. I've written a book called uh, Why Women Need Quotas, so I quite like to talk about what got me to that point, um, what the book is all about, and, uh, and what it is actually telling us. Okay, so let's begin with that. Why uh, did you write the book? Why did you feel there was a need for this? Well, as I said, I'm an economist, and therefore I look at statistics all the time. And there is no doubt that through the decades, although women's participation has increased very significantly, what hasn't really increased to any considerable extent is the representation of women in senior positions. Uh, there is still a pay gap. Uh, what we find is that women get ghettoized in particular sectors and therefore get very low paid. Um, and although there have been quite a lot of advances that have been made with the Equal Opportunities Act and so on, um, we still have the issue that women in particular who disappear to have children or take any time off can never get back to the career path or certainly uh, the wage path uh, that they had before. Um, at least on average, that seems to be the case. And one wonders, is that enough of an excuse for why women don't get there? Um, I mean, my view was from just looking at it from the outside, if you like, even though I was within, given that I had a senior position. But looking at it from the outside, you you wonder whether there are other issues that prevent women from Uh, moving to the top and actually being able to properly contribute to the economy. I think the most interesting and worrying thing about all this is that when you look at the types of jobs that women go back to when they have children, all the jobs that they do if they get fed up with the way an organization is run, because the culture may be very masculine, requires very long hours, and they may have other interests themselves, um, but also it's not very open to women. What they do is if they work either part-time or... Uh, you know, change jobs, they often work at levels, just not just one level below, but many levels below their skill levels. And that, of course, is appalling for productivity and growth. And I have to therefore add something more on the productivity front, which is that 
for a while when I was working for the government, I was a senior responsible officer for productivity in the UK economy. So I was looking at all aspects uh, of uh, uh, you know, areas where productivity could be improved. And there was no doubt in my mind that losing well-educated, skilled women from the workforce and making them do things that are below the skill levels is a huge loss to the economy. And that's basically why I wrote it. And of course, I brought in my own experiences as well as I was going through my own career path, as you can imagine. And some of those uh, anecdotes were actually very entertaining and jaw-dropping, shall we say, Uh, but good personal anecdotes. Uh, But who is the book intended for specifically and uh, what impact has it had so far, would you say? It's aimed mainly, I would guess, at policymakers uh, because it is suggesting that there should be uh, regulation put in place that forces firms uh, at different paces, if you like, at different sectors because of where one could start from um, to um, have a uh, more gender balance in senior executive positions. It's not the board, which doesn't really interest me very much, because there is no way in which a woman on a board can change the culture of an organization, especially women who have loads of different board positions. I mean, what do they know about what goes on within? It's the executives. It's, it's women who can provide a role model for others coming in below them. That is the issue. So it's aimed at the regulators who can do more. They're forcing now firms, of course, with um, employees of over 250 in terms of numbers to um, publish their pay gaps. Um, What it should also do is then make them explain why, and of course a number of them have explained why there are these huge pay gaps that are beginning to emerge out of the darkness, although we already knew knew that there was a problem there. They say, well, it's really only because we don't have... um, people in senior positions who are women in sufficient numbers. Well, for example, pilots at EasyJet or senior, um, whatever they are, managers at McKinsey, which is an extraordinary excuse to give. Why don't we have these senior women up there? There is clearly something wrong. So regulation needs to come in. Of course, you can do quite a lot with just HR. You can do quite a lot with looking at what is it that makes somebody promotable and you don't have the woman there. Uh, are we actually using fair uh, criteria? And it is also uh, looking at whether there is any positive discrimination against women, there is any bias, both uh, conscious and unconscious, that exists out there that keeps women from rising through an organisation. So regulation itself should help in in ensuring that an organisation keeps the pipeline going, so keeps the people there, given that women enter the workforce and loads of professions in larger numbers and get paid quite well at the beginning, and then they disappear, larger numbers than the men um, early on. So um, principally there for the regulators, but also, frankly, the organizations and the women themselves. Uh, HR has a very crucial role to play, but of course, nobody likes regulations, but they should want to see change because it makes a lot of business sense for a firm to do that. And uh, the impact the book has had so far, you would say? What we have seen, of course, since the book was published were those pay reviews, which weren't there before, and an increasing understanding that this is a serious issue 
that needs to be to be addressed. So it is no longer acceptable to have this type of pay gap, and firms are feeling themselves, uh, you know, quite embarrassed by this. But of course, my book isn't the only one that has been around. There has been a movement in terms of highlighting these issues. Not everybody agrees on quotas, I have to say. But loads of senior women are now coming to me and saying, actually, we didn't think that we needed it. And now we see the very slow progress that has been made. And we're beginning to think that perhaps it does make sense. Okay, so you touched on a couple before, but tell us more in depth what do you think are the main obstacles to women's progress in the workplace? I think the first thing is that women don't, don't necessarily do the right subjects, or they don't take the right subjects at, at school and then university, assuming they go to university. They get put off maths. Uh, what is really sad is that if you look at women economists, um, the percentage that takes economics at university has actually gone down. And and what you also see is that um, there is a problem with, with maths. They don't take up maths. They, it all looks a bit masculine the way it's taught. And, and they, they are almost subjected to subconscious choices from when they're, they're, they're very early uh, on in their school careers to perhaps go towards subjects which are more you know, art-oriented, creative, nothing wrong with that. Um, but what we know is that doing maths A-level is almost a guarantee of, of high earnings through your life. Doing other things may not be quite so good for you. And so that we don't have the right career uh, advice give, given to girls. And somehow or other we end up with this serious problem of women not doing enough sciences, not enough IT, uh, graduates coming through, for example, not enough engineers, all sorts of things which, of course, affect our economy negatively. And I think that, uh, if you like, uh, conditioning that takes place from very early on is a problem. The second thing is confidence. If you don't see other women in senior roles, so it's a bit of a catch-22 position, then you don't really feel that you can get there yourself. Um, so you don't go for the right jobs. You think more generally that the chances of you being... Um, um, chosen over a man are not that great. And then the third is that the culture of organizations just doesn't um, encourage you to stay uh, and then fight for those roles. Uh, quite masculine, particular, it's particularly the case, in fact, in the city, but we see it in other places as well. Uh, and what you find, therefore, is that you know, whether it's law firms or other organizations... What what you you get is is that although women enter at quite large numbers and they're there represented in in uh, junior positions, uh, then you find that they're no longer there later on. So uh, what we know, just looking at statistics from just a couple of years ago, um, seventy eight percent of professors, seventy two percent of senior managers, and eighty one percent of vice chancellors in the UK are men. So, I mean, it's quite extraordinary given that in the legal profession where women represent the majority, there are about 62% of those entering the trade, less than a third are partners. So there is something going on. Uh, and it could also be, of course, the fact that women go off and have children. And there is a serious issue about what we call sort of the, the, the sort of motherhood paradox or puzzle, which basically shows that if you take time off to have children, the chances of then being able to come back and and go to right positions when you return uh, are 
diminished very significantly. So those are some, I don't want to say alarming, but uh, interesting statistics you've given us there. So presumably, or you hear bandied about a lot, that people who are in their positions are in their positions based on merit. Let's explore the notions of merit, qualification, and meritocracy. I have no doubt that quite a lot of people who have their positions uh, are there because they're good at it. Um, it would be surprising if it was otherwise. Otherwise, the whole system would completely collapse. So uh, it doesn't mean that they are the best people around for doing this job, especially if you have already eliminated a large percentage of the population from the choices you're making as you go up the career ladder, then inevitably you will end up perhaps with a choice which isn't the best, isn't the optimal. That's why it's so significant for me to have more women staying in, in firms and being around when the choices are made. I'm not talking really about positive discrimination in favor of women. I'm talking about having a wider field of choice at the end so that inevitably you'll end up with the best person doing the job. And, and th I have a quote in, in my book from somebody um, which I really absolutely love, which says that we will know we have achieved gender equality when a mediocre woman runs a big company. You're listening to the Workplace Radio Program here on your favorite community arts radio station, Resonance 104.4 FM. If you're just joining us, welcome. But we're just about halfway through today's episode on this International Women's Day 2018. Our guest is Professor Vicky Price, the economist, who is talking to us about women's economic contribution and her book, Why Women Need Quotas. You can catch up by listening to the repeat on this episode, which will be broadcast on Tuesday at 1 p.m. GMT. And if you're just joining us during the repeat, then you can catch up by going to our Mixcloud page, mixcloud.com forward slash resonance. To your credit, you highlight the smugness of women who have managed to reach the top, saying they have done so on merit and it is for others to do the same. I'd like you to elaborate on this and then tell us why do you suppose you have managed to scale the heights that you have, whereas other women have not? And quote as a part, what can women do differently? There is no doubt in my mind that quite a lot of the women who have made to the top have worked three times as hard as the men to get there because it is very difficult to stand out uh, when... The tendency is, and we know that from loads of studies that have been done using psychology and so on, that people t like to hire people in their own image. So they feel much more comfortable with a man from the same background than they do with a woman who they don't really know how she's going to be. Um, so in order to get there, they do fight. Uh, sometimes they fight like the men, of course. Um, and they do get there. So, so they can indeed uh, seriously say that they got there on merit, uh, but, of course, the field was smaller because lots of other women weren't around. And there are times when women do get promoted because someone needs a token woman there. So we have to bear that in mind as well. Um, what really is important for the productivity of the economy, for firms to do well, is to have a lot of them around. And maybe they should have some of the jobs that, that perhaps would traditionally go to a man. And the man should be able to compete just as fairly against the woman as well. And if the firm does well, there will be many more jobs that they can do. So it's not a, I'm taking your job uh, you know, because I'm, you know, I'm here, I'm a woman, and, and, and now you don't have a job, which is actually what lots of men seem to think would happen. That is what we call uh, in economics the lump of labor fallacy. In other words, it isn't just a number of jobs that are available, and if the women come, as they did during the war, 
um, and they they do them, and then when the men return, they have to depart from the from the jobs because there aren't any other jobs around. Actually, you create more jobs by having more people in employment, and that's the important thing to bear in mind. There is no such thing as a lump of labour, and that's very often misunderstood. Now, how do you get there? How I got there? Well, again, with hard work, um, I'm afraid. But I think what you need to do as a woman absolutely is ensure that you have the best people around you. The best people include women as well. And that's how you succeed. You only succeed by having people working for you and with you who are the best in their field or who can develop to be the best in their field. So I always had very, very mixed teams. Always hired loads of women. Uh, and the networks that exist out there. In fact, I joined one of the first women networks in the city. Uh, and uh, I really seriously do believe that, that women need a bit, of, a bit of pushing, a bit of encouragement, and to be told that, yes, you can do various things and don't consider yourself in any way to be in an inferior position to anyone else. Just do your best. But, of course, we know that even if you do your best, there is internal sexism going on that very often is not recognised, but it's there. Uh, so you know, if you ask how one did it, one just persevered. Um, and persevered by, you know, actually, as, as I said before, having good teams, doing good work. And it's very difficult for somebody to then say, no, we're not going to have this person do the next job up if you've actually managed to perform. Okay, let's turn now to your solution. Why do you favor quotas as the solution? And what is your response to those who are against quotas? But those who are against quotas quite like to preserve their own sort of uniqueness, if you like. And certainly businesses generally don't like having regulation. It is a form of regulation, whether you like it or not, if you have quotas. And if you talk to any woman who would work in a company, she can't actually come out and say, yes, I want quotas, because that means immediately she's telling her superiors, because usually there are men superiors, um, that she's saying to them, yes, I like regulation. Businesses hate regulation, generally. Uh, they like to do things on a voluntary basis. If they fear there is going to be regulation, they will do it much faster, of course. And we're seeing that happening already now. Uh, but uh, the truth is that, that you have to be quite senior to be able to say, yes, actually, I do believe in quotas. And it is now people at the top who say it. It is women who no longer have to answer to anyone else who come forward and say, yes, actually, I've been thinking about this for quite some time and now realize the only way to make it happen faster is to have this. And, of course, we know. I mean, there is a feminism uh, movement as well, and there is a Me Too. It's a very interesting time to be talking about these things. What it has emphasized is the, the balance of power, which is completely on the side of the men in all sorts of areas of, of uh, life and work, and how that needs to be redressed. The reality is it can only be redressed, in my view, if you have more economic empowerment of women. So the economic empowerment helps all the other issues that women have right now, but it also helps the economy. So it's a win-win. Uh, and that's what we should be focusing on, and that's why you need quotas. And it is not, as I said earlier, a positive discrimination in favor of women when you have to choose to go for a woman. It is ensuring that people stay uh, and, and remain in, a, in, a, in an organization as they progress so that you have a bigger pipeline at the end to choose from. And then it happens naturally. And in my view, once that becomes a, a trend, because it changes the way that even men operate in a, in, in a firm, they can go and leave earlier and go and look after the children. If the women can, they can job share like the women can. A very good example of all this is the public sector in the UK, which is 
such a different environment to work in than the private sector. I know because I've done both, and I worked for the government for a number of years, and I was astonished, actually, frankly, to see the, 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 the fact that women get promoted when they're away having children, that they're trained again to come back, that you don't lose touch with them, that they can come then and do all sorts of interesting things, job share or part-time, but at their skill level, not below. And that is extraordinary because it keeps the, the, the talent there. And, and you know, frankly, the departments are constantly looking at how they're doing on gender equality, how they're doing on uh, issues of uh, you know, hiring enough disabled people, ethnic minorities, and so on. And the, the pay of people at the top is linked to this. And I think that is the type of, of pressure, if you like, that needs to be put on, on private firms as well, because, frankly, the population won't have it for very much longer. I think there are too many, too many trends happening at the same time that are pushing that agenda forward. Okay, is there anything else you'd like to tell us before we wrap up? Yes, uh, just a couple of things. First of all, although I spoke about regulation, um, you need, of course, to get the men to also agree. Men, women, and with a bit of regulation, uh, that will actually make a big difference. And then you get rid of that regulation. I seriously believe in sunset clauses. So you just stop having it. Once that trend's there, you stop having that regulation. You don't need it any longer. The next point, really, to, to make very quickly is that obviously I'm thinking about the next generation and the generation after that. I have both girls and boys and a number of grandchildren now, many of them girls. And what I had noticed recently, given the experience that I've had for a number of decades, starting at the very bottom and moving up, um, is that many things haven't really changed. And they absolutely need to change. Still enter, you enter the room and you may be one of very few women. Uh, you go to so many, depends on the sector, of course, but you go to so many events and they can be all-male panels all day long, which, of course, everyone tries to find the old woman to put there. Now, um, that needs to change, uh, and we need to do a lot more in educating our, our children, uh, talk to schools and ensure that attitudes change, that how girls are being pushed forward changes, and how they learn, of course, what they need to definitely learn, how to deal with, with any obstacles that may come in this, in this way to them and how to just soldier on. Uh, and please choose the right subject. So there is a lot to do at a younger age, and we all, who have made it to a certain position, need to participate in that. Go out and spread the message. You have many anecdotes in the book. Uh, what do you want to share? Uh, anything from your experience that might be useful for anyone listening? Well, it's really rather interesting that uh, if you look at who supports you, it's very important to get a mentor who really believes in you. Uh, and in my case, uh, and that's why I think we should be as friendly with the men as we possibly can, because there are loads of men who, who think the way we do. It was men who, who believed in, in completely in gender equality and who pushed me in every case. I had three different bosses male bosses who just couldn't understand why we should be any different and they just pushed me ahead and that was absolutely wonderful. And the, the, and the second thing in terms of how you get on, uh, particularly now with social media and everything else, it is that women have to realise that they shouldn't be perfect. They shouldn't expect to be perfect. There is so much pressure to be particularly good at work, to be a fantastic mother, to look brilliant in everything you do and and there is guilt. I can see that guilt, you know, even in my daughters who go out to work. Um, and my um, recommendation would be, please don't feel guilty. Uh, I mean, men go out to work, leave the children behind, do all sorts of things, travel away, 
maybe away for weeks on end or whatever. Uh, well, ask them, do they feel guilty? And you should just accept that you're not going to be perfect. Try your best, but don't expect to be perfect. If you expect to be perfect, you're never going to get to the top. Professor Vicky Price, thanks so much for being with us here on The Workplace to discuss why women need quotas. Thank you very much for having me on. And thank you so much for listening. As always, it's been a pleasure being in your company. Until next time, keep working.